Well, happy Easter. Come on, you love Easter? Listen, yeah, come on. I love Easter, man. I love Easter, you know, but it wasn't always that way. I didn't always love Easter. I don't know if some of you were like me if I just had a confession. When I was a kid, I didn't always love Easter because I always had to dress up in those clothes that were so uncomfortable. Anybody feel me on that? Like I had that suit you had to put on. You had those leather shoes that were fake leather that hurt your feet and you had to put those on because they were plastic. And I didn't always love Easter. You know, my, uh, my granddad was a pastor. I ran from him as long as I could, by the way. But uh, <laughs> my granddad was a pastor. So every Easter, he would wear a white suit. And times when we visit him, there's a picture of me. And, and you guys remember, how many Baptists in the house? Yeah, you remember how they used to have the throne up here where the pastor sat before the message? You remember that? And so my granddad was in the throne in his white, in his white suit. And I was sitting next to him in my white suit when I was about five years old. I'm like, what am I, a show pony? I mean, what's the deal with that? And so, but I, I do love Easter and I think Easter is incredible. And man, if we, and if we can't reorient and recalibrate our lives around the resurrection, we're gonna live small and insignificant lives. Come on. Like we're gonna live lives that will never measure up to what we want, never achieve what we thought was possible, never feel this level of satisfaction and contentment. We'll always feel like we're less than. And so I just want to, let me just start out by just reading the actual resurrection story when Jesus read it. Now, I realize that not everybody is as, as familiar as it, with it as, as it used to be, but the way this story goes is Jesus came and was born and lived um, and died. And when he died, they crucified him and he, and he died for our sins. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. And he took our punishment and our suffering. But as he's in the tomb, his followers didn't have a category for resurrection. And so they thought it was over right? Death had won and they didn't know what to do. And so uh, after there was a, they had to let Jesus stay in the tomb until after the Sabbath because you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And so they were going back to prepare his body for burial. And so this is what it reads. It says, when the Sabbath had passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, first sunrise service. When the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to each other, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. He who was crucified, see the place where they had laid him. And so in that moment, life changed. In that moment, Mary's life changed. In that moment, your life changed. You know, as we look back over the year and uh, what we experienced last Easter, um, you think about, we were all watching church online last Easter. Like you were all in your pajamas. You didn't have to dress up at all, right? You look really good right now, by the way. Um, and so as we kind of approached this season of Easter, we thought, man, we just want to go at it with a vengeance, man. We want to do our best to recapture what had been lost. And so we just had church every night this week. And as we, as we began to have church and look and teach through the, there were some statements that we taught through where Jesus talks about who he is and what he came to do and the type of God that he is. And Jesus used these two words that are real simple. Three letters, but very profound. He used these two words, I am, and then he filled in the blank. Now, now to, to, Jew, to Jesus' early followers, when they heard the words, I am, something would have resonated in their soul. 
There was these echoes of eternity past that they remembered that way back when the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, was in slavery. God sent a man named Moses to lead them out of slavery. And so God shows up to Moses. And if you can read a little bit of it, it's it's a little funny because he shows up to Moses. He says, hey, Moses, I want you to lead these three million complaining, frustrated, great, unthankful Jews out of the nation of Egypt into promised land. And Moses is like, why me? Like, why me? And God begins to just work in his life. And so Moses finds like, okay, God, I'm going to do this. But when I get there, who do I tell them you are? And God says, I am. And God isn't trying to give himself a name. What God is doing is sending a message. He's the absolute, ultimate reality. That he is constant and unchanging, that his purposes and plans never fail. So when Jesus uses this word, I am, he's claiming to be God. You know, we talked about the fact that he said, I am the door. I'm the access to the life you've been looking for. I'm the vine. I'm I'm where you find your nutrition and sustenance to get through life and to produce fruit. He says, I am the light of the world. I'm not afraid of the darkness that's within you. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This is how you find your way to God. He says, I am the bread of life where you find life. He says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for a sheep. But, but the, the I am that we're going to look at today, what he said today that we're going to look at, then the story today is it's the peace day resistance of the I am statements. It's the apex of Jesus' claims to be God. It's the pinnacle of the mountaintop that we climb in the life of faith because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen, somebody? I am, yeah. I am the resurrection and the life. And what Jesus is communicating with that, it's not simply that you can have life after you die, but he's saying this is the power to transform how you see very human existence has the power to take what's broken in your life and restore it. It has the power to take your disappointments and rewrite them. It has a power to engulf you with a hope that will overwhelm everything about you in every way, every single day. This is the power of the resurrection. And if we're not careful, it will become just this sentimental time where we gather together and we have church again and we go out to eat and we have some lunch and we have an Easter egg hunt when so much more is offered. Let's grab our Bibles. We're in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, where we see this story of Jesus. Now, I read to you the story of Jesus being raised from the dead. Now, the story that we're going to see today is actually him telegraphing his own resurrection. It's where he gives us a foreshadowing and a foretaste of his resurrection as well as ours. And so Jesus had some friends. One of the friends was Mary, who I just read that saw him and went into his tomb, found it empty. Mary, she had a sister named Martha, and then they had a brother named Lazarus. And they were very close friends with Jesus to the point that when Lazarus gets sick, they send word to Jesus. They send him a note. You know, like you probably have people in your life that if you're at work or, um, you know, in a meeting or doing something important and they call, you're going to answer the phone. You know, these people like just a couple of weeks ago, my wife was traveling and I'm always really careful to keep my phone, especially when she's traveling. Husbands, you feel me on this? Like your wife's traveling, you're going to pay attention. And so um, I, t- I talked to her later, later in the day and she said, I called you three times 
and you didn't answer, what if I was stuck on the side of the road? I was like, well, if I thought you were going to get stuck, I wouldn't let you go. But, um, you know, you, you want to answer when, when it's important and somebody that you love. And this is the type of family relationship that Jesus had with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Hey, listen, the, the story of the resurrection is not about my faith in God, but it's about his love for me, okay? It's about him getting glory. It's not about me getting glory. It's not the fact that I get to rise from the dead. It's about the fact that he can raise me from the dead. Verse 17, it says, when Jesus came, to, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Hey, you get the picture? Mary is, Mary is staying home pouting, right? Any powders in the house, right? Raise your wife's hand. Any powders in the house? Look, I'm a powder in our house. I'm gonna let you know. Something doesn't go my way. I'm not talking to you for a week. I'm pouting. Says, but even now, and, and so, so Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he will live. So that's resurrection. If you die, you will live because Jesus will, will raise you to life. And it says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's the life that he's talking about. As we follow Jesus, our life doesn't just start when we die, our life starts now. We get everlasting life now. And and then he, he asks this question in verse 26. Do you believe this? This is the most important question you'll ever answer. It's one that I have to answer. It's one that you have to answer. Do you believe this? Four words that your eternity hinges on. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who is coming into the world. So after this interaction, Jesus makes his way to the tomb of Lazarus and he's standing in front of Lazarus's tomb. It says that Jesus was deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and there was a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man said, Lord, by this time it will stink. There will be an odor for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips, the clothes of death, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. So in this moment, we have Jesus foreshadowing our resurrection. And we have him foreshadowing it in the resurrection of Lazarus and foreshadowing his own resurrection to prove that we will have resurrection, that this life isn't all that there is. Now, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus isn't saying, hey, this is something I do. It's not a party trick. Right? It's not just something I'm trying to show off with. It's not just an activity. It's my identity. It's who I am. Everywhere you look and you see resurrection, you see Jesus. 
See, this is the fountain of life of resurrection. It's the foundation that upholds resurrection. It's the force that, he's the force that drives resurrection. He's the creator that conceived of resurrection. That at the center of Christianity, at the center of who God is, at the center of who Jesus is, is resurrection. And if you want resurrection, and if you want life, you find it in Jesus. This is what he's saying and communicating to his audience. And this resurrection is what has been at the center of the Christian faith for centuries. Hey, it's not a moral code. It's not that you follow the Ten Commandments, love people, and, and, and try to do good. It's not that you have a, some standards. It's that you have resurrection. You are different. You are transformed. You are changed. This is what it means. Like the early church, this is why they got arrested. Some of the early followers of Jesus found themselves in prison. And the reason why wasn't because they preached that Jesus had died. Nobody really cared about that. They didn't preach and teach that Jesus was a good teacher. They didn't say he was, he was someone that we like. He was a great leader. They got arrested for preaching the resurrection, right? That is how uh, crazy this was during that time. And even Paul, a follower of Jesus, writes it this way. He said, he says, if, if the resurrection has not happened, your faith is futile. Like, it doesn't even matter anymore. And this is the resurrection that we have. So Jesus teaches them, I am the resurrection. But, but notice Mary's response. Um, Mary's response in verse 32. She says this, when Mary came to, to where Jesus was, she stopped her pouting for long enough. And she fell at his feet and she said to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like, do you, do you sense that? The disappointment in her voice. If, you, if you'd have just been here, this wouldn't happen. This sadness, this chaos, you sense the disappointment. Man, you sense just this unfulfilled hope that she had. You see, God has this ability and the hope of the resurrection that it rewrites a better story. It rewrites a better story. And even in the midst of and because of our disappointment. And Mary finds herself disappointed with God, let down. And it just shows this lack of understanding about the power of Jesus and the power of death. Now, one thing about death is that it's not something we generally talk about. Have you noticed this? Like, you didn't meet somebody for the first time. Hey, what do you do for a living? Yeah, like, when do you think you're going to die? How do you think it's going to go down? Like, it's, it's very uncomfortable. Like, like there's a... There's a website, that's, I think it's deathclock.com. You can put in some stats about yourself. It'll tell you when you're going to die. Oh, I did it. It was a problem. I didn't even tell you, baby. It's, it's early. It's early. You may be glad. I don't know. We don't like to talk about it. Hey, listen, we, we don't have words. We like to come up with other words other than die. Have you noticed this? Passed on. Like, like when I was in high school, my, my grandmother was sick. Now, she wasn't Lazarus sick, but she, she was sick. And so a friend of my mom's called. I happened to answer the phone. It was back when they had landlines. You guys remember that. And so I call. I'm like, hey. She says, hey, Stephen, did your grandmother expire? I'm like, what is she like a gallon of milk in the fridge? Like, what are we, what are we talking about here? But expire meaning die. And I was like, what do you mean? And she never could ask me the question. She finally just hung up. She was frustrated. But we, we don't like to talk about it, man. It is messy. Doesn't play by the rules. And it is so, feels so final. 
And because we don't talk about it or think about it or think about what happens after it, man, we are fixated on the present and we are fixated on what is temporary. We're fixated on what we need to do today. We're fixated on what's how I feel today, right? And the implications of that are staggering and we don't even notice it. And when we see Jesus bring meaning into life and into death, we find that there is meaning even in disappointment. The disappointments that you face, the disappointments that we all experience, and that they're not final, that they don't mean that God hasn't showed up or that God doesn't care, but it's just an opportunity for God to show up and for God to get glory, and for God to bring meaning into our lives. This is what disappointments are. Hasn't everybody in here been disappointed? You know, we have small disappointments. Your NCAA bracket got busted last night when Gonzaga won. We have small disappointments. Your kid didn't make the team. You didn't get that bonus. They, were, they installed your pool in the winter, and you didn't get to use it until the following summer. <laughs> I mean, we have some disappointments. Let's be honest, man. We got some real disappointments. We got some disappointments in life that, that feel like they're four days dead. And there's those regrets we look back when we were teenagers and those things we didn't do and the things we wish we'd have done and the options we wish we'd pursued and the places that didn't work out for us. And there's those relationships that died and there's part of it was our fault. So we live with this shame and this guilt and regret. And we don't have that million dollar income yet. And we don't have that beach house yet. And we look at some regrets and there's some broken dreams and there's a, you know, broken marriages. And then there's people who wanted children and wasn't, weren't able to have them or had children. And that didn't go so well. And there's this animosity and that's not going well. And there's just these disappointments that build up. And what can happen is we don't know how to deal with those. And we feel like God has left us. We feel like it's over. We feel like it's not going to have any meaning and that God doesn't care. If you'd have been here, Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. You were late to the game. And so what he's saying, what he's communicating, what he's teaching Mary in this moment is that there's going to be something better. I, want, I just want you to picture this. Obviously, there was a time later when Lazarus died again. You know this. He didn't live forever. What do you think happened when Lazarus dies the second time? What do Mary, how do Mary and Martha take that? Lazarus says, hey, I don't feel well. You're fine. Here's a Kleenex and a Claritin. We'll see you on the other side. God brings meaning out of difficult times. God restores what's been taken from us. Let me ask you a question, man. What, what is it? Where have you been disappointed? Have you ever been disappointed? What is that thing that's disappointing you right now that seems to be the end? We have hope. I mean, the resurrection roots our life in this hope. It roots our life in hope. Hey, listen, as you look over the last 18 months, one of the things that has become crystal clear, because I think 2020 has been the great clarifier, one of the things that has been crystal clear are the places where we have misplaced our hope. Amen, somebody? Man, the places where we've placed hope that can't deliver, whether it's a financial system, a healthcare system, a political system, a job, a relationship, we placed our hope in places that cannot deliver. 
And in this moment, what Jesus is doing us is showing that there's a hope that will last, that there's a hope that is an anchor for our souls. It's immovable and unchangeable, and it's found and rooted in the resurrection. So many times our hope is, is placed in like the progress of life. You know, we're going to make, you know, scientific progress and technological progress. You know, we're going to be able to, you know, we're going to make progress in the healthcare industry. There won't be any more pandemics and there will be no more war. And there'll be no more social upheaval. Like we think we're actually going to move towards progress. Do you know that there are some people who are spending a lot of money in predicting that we will be immortal by the year 2050? That through different types of chemicals, cryotherapy, and a whole lot of kale, you can live forever. <laughs> like, do you realize the futility of that? Because the truth is, we are already going to live forever. Now, now, the downside to what they're trying to accomplish is they're trying to help us live forever here. Who wants to do that? You want to stay in this system, in this conflict, in this hatred, man, in this chaos? No, not me. Man, this is what the resurrection proves. Man, it's not based on human progress. It's based on the living hope called Jesus Christ. That's the kind of hope that we have, hope of the resurrection. Man, early Christians got this. They knew how to live in hope. You know, the early church was actually propelled forward by a pandemic. So, so in the year 165, there's a couple of pandemics. One is around 165. One was a, about a century later. But in, in the year 165, there was the Antonine plague. Marcus Aurelius wrote that they were carrying out 2,200 bodies a day out of the city of Rome in carts that were, they were taking them out. Now, now uh, roughly a third of the Roman population died because of this pandemic. They think it was smallpox, a third. Now, equate that to just the United States. That would be 100 million people that would die because of that pandemic. Now, I am not minimizing half a million people that died at all. One is too many. I'm just trying to help us see the scale of the pandemic. So if you, if you just notice kind of what's happened around the scale of our pandemic, you take one and you multiply it up to 100 million people, what would that look like in the United States? Man, Rome devolved into hopelessness and fear because the gods they worship had no ability to come through. They had no ability to talk about what happens after you die. The Roman doctors and the Roman priests fled the cities because they didn't know what to do, and it was hopeless. But the Christians stepped in with hope. You see, the Christians understood they were part of a larger story. They understood that there was more to life than what currently meets the eye. The early Christians ran in, and they hoarded toilet paper is what they did. They ran in and they gave all their toilet paper away because they knew that God would provide more just like manna in the wilderness is what he would do. But they run in, roll their sleeves up, begin nursing the sick back to life. They begin helping the families of those who had died dispose of the bodies and some of them died for it, but they lived in hope to, to such a point that they were accused of actually celebrating the pandemic because they had so much hope. And they made a difference and they lived differently. You know, we need to learn to value hope the way they valued hope by seeing the resurrection as the root of our hope, man, not our work, not our intelligence, not our progress, 
but the resurrection is our true hope. We need to value the treasure of hope. Man, without, without a glorious hope blazing in your heart, difficulties are going to crush you. Man, they're going to take you out. They're going to make you believe God isn't real, that God isn't good. We have to fight to hold on to this hope that we have. Because when you have a hope like that, you know, you live differently today. You know that? You know, C.S. Lewis said that those, those who do the most in the present life are exactly those who think the most about the next life. Because you just live differently when you have a hope of the resurrection. And now right here, what I'd love to do is to give you four practical tips to hope. But that actually just cuts the legs out from under hope, doesn't it? So what I want to tell you to do right now is just to fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, but now is seated at the right hand of God. Man, that's the hope that we have. I love how the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 6. He said, we who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right into the very presence of God. Hey, you need, when, when you value something, you hold on with both hands. Man, when you have a child, you're holding on with both hands. When you're hanging by a rope, you're holding on with both hands. Man, when you're afraid of heights, you hold on with both hands. Like, you know that you're holding on with both hands. And that's the kind of hope that we have to have. So that no matter what happens, like no matter our circumstances, no matter the, the, the news, no matter what happens when we watch news or social media, man, we're holding on to the hope with both hands because that's what's going to be our lifeline. That's what's going to stabilize us, man. We need to hold on to hope. Don't let anybody steal it from us. I mean, how's your hope today, right? How's your hope today? What are you hoping in? What are you hoping on? What are you hoping for? How is your hope? Now, one of the reasons that we can hang on to hope with both hands is because the resurrection reveals that he's a God who came because he's a God who cares. This is what the resurrection reveals to us, man, that God came knowing he was going to die excruciating, brutal death, but also knowing he was going to win. Listen, death didn't take him by surprise. You know this, right? It didn't knock on the door and say, I'm here. It didn't sneak in the back window like a robber going to take something and mug Jesus. Jesus, man, Jesus used death to his own ends. Man, he knew death was coming. He's like, I got you, right? That's why he was so passionate about it. You know, it says at one point uh, during this particular story, it says that Jesus was deeply moved and the word for deeply moved is just this anger inside. It's actually a word that's used for a horse that snorts out of anger. Jesus was deeply moved. He was angry. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, what was he angry at? Was he angry at Mary and Martha because Mary pouted and Martha questioned him? Like, was he, was he angry at the chaos that was happening about, with the people mourning and swirling around this dead body? No. Jesus was angry at the deception of death. Jesus was angry that they'd been deceived into thinking this was the end and that they didn't understand exactly what God was going to do. And then it says another, another, another thing that Jesus did, and it's the smallest verse in the Bible. And because of his anger, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And while it may be the shortest verse in the Bible, it's the loudest 
because it communicates the love, the care, the power, the concern of a God who cares. You see, Jesus' tears are tied to our tears. Man, every tear of disappointment has drifted off your cheek. Every tear of sadness, every tear of death, every tear of brokenness, every tear of regret, Jesus captures it, the Bible says, in a bottle. That's how important they are to him. And Jesus came because he cares. So, do you believe this? It's not a multiple choice question. I kind of hate those anyway. True or false, yes or no, do you believe this? You know, for most of us, we actually live lives like we don't believe. Our unbelief actually kind of shows that we don't really believe the resurrection is real and true, that we don't believe it can happen today. That level of anxiety that we live with, me, you, that we live with about what's going on or what could happen or what might happen or what if. And the the lack of investment we have in things that are going to matter. Man, our obsession with the present and of arranging our lives now to be as comfortable as possible. Man, it just reveals this unbelief of the resurrection. You know, there's a story about a dad in the Bible. And the dad had a son. His son was extremely ill to the point of death. And he brings it to Jesus' disciples, his followers. And they pray for him and nothing happens. And so the dad looks at Jesus and he says, they, 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 can't, they can't do it. Can you do it? And Jesus says, if you believe. And the man says, I believe. Help my unbelief. So in that moment, we have the purest statement of faith we've ever seen, that there's people like us, people like me and you, that, man, we want to believe, we're trying to believe, but when it's hard and dark and chaotic and the waves are rolling in on our lives, we, we, we want to believe, but we can, and we forget to believe. But God helps us to believe, and God gives us this gift to believe. Do you believe this? Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. I am the life. And because he rose... We will rise again. The resounding reality of life in Jesus is that your last breath here is your first breath in eternity. Do you believe this? Let's pray together. So just in this last few minutes that we have together, it's going to be the quietest, calmest, most peaceful minutes you're going to have the rest of this Easter Sunday. (laughs) Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, focus our attention, our mind, our imagination on the resurrection. You know, for some of you, you realize you believed kind of, you really haven't believed to the point of committing your life to follow Jesus, that you're not experiencing resurrection in life. And I just want to help you do that today. You know, and what we see in the Bible is that when, when you want to believe, you take a step of commitment towards God and you just confess with your mouth that I believe Jesus is the son of God, that he died for my sins, rose again, confess that with your mouth and believe it in your heart you too will be saved 
So I just want to lead you in that commitment. If that's you today, you need to take that step to follow Jesus. As we're all just kind of focusing our attention on, in our mind, on our imagination of the resurrection. If that's you today and want to take that step, I just want to lead you in a prayer of commitment today. Just repeat after me, dear God, I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead. And I believe that I will rise with him. And just put your, fix your mind on that right now. Man, if that was you today, I want to help you mark that moment. It's too important. It will be stolen from you. And you'll start putting your hope in other things that can't deliver. I want to help you mark this moment. The way we're going to do that is I'm going to count to three. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand just as a symbol of victory this morning. So with every, all, our, all our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If that was you today, just want that resurrection life, I'm going to count to three. Just raise your hand. In the room, online. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can we celebrate that right now? God just did something wild. It's amazing. So God, we know that that's new life. That's resurrection life. That's hope that's rooted in something that can last and be sustained. You know, I think for some, there's still some disappointment you're struggling with, some sadness, some doubt because of the disappointment. You believe, but help your unbelief. And we want to help your unbelief today. We want to help our unbelief. So just even now with our just kind of heads bowed, you're going to see a linen strip in a chair next to you or in your chair. Man, just the clothes of death, grave clothes. I'm going to ask you just to pick that up right now. And man, there's some disappointment that you're dealing with. Maybe it's some anxiety where you're not believing the resurrection today. I'm just going to ask you to write that on that linen strip. We're just going to do it really still and quiet as we all look down. Man, maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's anxiety over relationship. Maybe it's anxiety over your future. Maybe it's a financial anxiety. Maybe it feels an anxiety that feels like, like it shouldn't be an anxiety and I know better, but I can't get over it. Man, you need God to take it from you. It's what you need. You need to give it to him. I'm just going to ask you, just write it down on there. You know, maybe you're in a, in a season where your marriage is struggling. Man, there's just a lot of conflict. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look like there's a big future. Maybe that's what you want to write on there, man, where you just stop believing God. It feels four days dead. You know, maybe you're struggling with infertility or maybe you're just having a problem with your children and relating. Maybe it's another relationship. You know, possibly you're just struggling with purpose and you don't believe that God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose in your pain or in your disappointment. I'm just going to ask you just to write it on those grave clothes right there. And so, God, there's some words that have been written on these grave clothes. There's some things that we need to believe and we need to believe you're going to put them to death and do something better and rewrite our story in a way that has meaning today, God. You're a God who brings beauty from the ashes. That what Satan means for evil, you will use and turn for good. And God, there's some things that feel final that we need to believe are not final today. And God, we just need the resurrection and we need the life. In Jesus' name, amen. So we want to close out today just by celebrating that Jesus came. 
And as we sing and as we worship to this last song, I just want to invite you out because I think this can be good for, for many people is whatever you wrote down, you, you, need to, you need to just get rid of it. And so right along the front, you'll see there's a small rope. And I'm going to just invite you that as we sing this song, whatever it is that you've, that you've written on these grave clothes, just want to come and just drape it over that rope. Just as this act to do something with what you've, with what you've written down. So if you would, let's stand together, let's worship, and let's take off some grave clothes.